This is Butchertown Rundown, a Racing Louisville podcast brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Welcome to the Butchertown Rundown, a podcast about the only top-tier professional sports team in the state of Kentucky. I am Tom Benson. That is Becky Morgan. Becky, when we plan to do this podcast, and today is Monday, June 27th, we thought that we would have a few things to talk about, maybe <laughs> middle of the year stuff, maybe we talk about the NWSL, the culture, but this morning we received news that racing has traded Ebony Salmon to the Houston Dash and I don't want to wait. We're not doing a starting line. We're not doing a commercial break. I want to know, what do you think about the trade? So it's, this is going to be long because there's multiple points that I feel like need, need to be made about this trade because there's some deeper stuff to it. And I, I feel that some people have concerns that I don't think are warranted, but I do think that there are concerns that are warranted. And I, so I want to try and cover that whole gambit. First thing I want to say is that I think we got just on a completely business level, an excellent return for this trade. Um, as much as I hate to lose Ebony Salmon, we got $150,000 in allocation money for this year. We got, I think something like 25,000 for next year. And then uh, incentives on top of it, the equal like $190,000. I mean, that's a, a massive amount of money. That's a lot of money. So that's great. You know, I, I hope racing is able to do something with that, whether, you know, expand the salary cap and give bonuses to existing core players or turn it around and recruit other players. Between this, between the other players that we've traded and gotten 150000 or $200,000 altogether for, you know, we have a big hunk of allocation money right now. So I want to give a little bit of an explainer for people who are like, oh my God, why did racing trade Ebony Salmon? You know, and because that's a great question because she's barely played this season and yet she was our top goal scorer last season. She scored six goals despite only arriving in June and being benched for a couple games at the end of the year. So she was very, very good to us. And yet she hasn't played at all this season. And the crux of that really is a difference in the system that racing wants to play and the style that Ebony plays. So racing, as you've probably heard us say before, plays in a very rigid, high-pressing system. This means that the moment possession is lost, every player is expected to immediately put pressure on the opposing team and regain possession and counterattack. And you play defensively up very high in the opponent's half. And the point of that is so you have a smaller, shorter distance to go in order to score a goal. So you're supposed to be able to immediately pressurize and then convert goals or at least, you know, start buildups and turn things around. Coach Bjorkegren does not seem to tolerate anybody who does, does not press aggressively. The club really wants to create a philosophy of high pressing that starts in the academy and then moves all the way up to both first teams. The issue here is that Ebony Salmon is not a high-pressing player. She plays as a traditional nine, which is a traditional center striker. And before I go any further, I want to absolutely make sure that everybody is aware that I believe that Ebony is a phenomenal player. Nothing I'm saying is criticizing her as a player at all. It is only criticizing how our style fits with the traditional nine. So when I say she's a traditional nine, I mean she traditionally relies on hovering in front of goal, waiting for balls to be fed through to her or to feed balls through herself to a backup second striker. Or, you know, she's waiting in space and cutting between lines. She's dividing defenders, 
but she's mainly staying in front of goal, so she does not press very much. That's a problem when you have a team that is absolutely obsessed with the high press, and the high press only works if the whole team presses together. So today it was announced she was traded, and on the face of it, as I said, the trade doesn't bother me. I think it makes sense. I think that if she is not pressing, if she's not happy here, if she's not getting the minutes, it definitely is good that she is moving on to another place, and it's great for racing that we got this much money. But what concerns me is something that we've addressed before, so I'm not going to focus on it too much. Well, one of the things that concerns me is something we've addressed before, and that is racing is insisting on employing this absolutely rigid system regardless of the players that we have. I truly believe that we have diamonds or had diamonds of players, but we're saying we only want emeralds. And instead of changing our pattern or, you know, making do with what we have right now, we're getting rid of the diamonds, even if we don't have emeralds lined up to put in. That's probably a horrible metaphor, but that's just the only way I can see it right now. We are just not doing anything to revise our tactics to work with the very strong players we have and the main reason i think that's an issue is because despite what james o'connor said today and he said that there are probably signings coming right now there's nobody lined up right now you know we've lost four players now in a very short time in just the month of june and no players have been added that's a problem to me and that's particularly a problem because two of the players that we lost were defenders and in the month of July, with Rebecca Holloway, with Satara Murray, and with Emily Fox out, we currently only have three defenders available. We only have Gemma Bonner, we only have Julia Lester, and we only have Neely Martin. So that seems like very horrible planning. Why did we let two defenders go if we knew that we were going to be this short in July and we have nobody added yet? That's just a, a giant red flag to me. That makes me feel like the team is spitballing as they're going, as opposed to having a plan. And I know that's not directly tied to the Ebony Salmon trade, but it's just another case of a player leaving without having like plan B figured out in my eyes. And I, I that's a concern to me. The other thing that's concerned me is that Salmon left unhappy. She said she's angry at Louisville and wants to take her anger and turn it into good play in Houston. And you know what? That's a pretty typical player thing to say. That's great. You know, if you feel like you weren't given the opportunity to do your best, then, you know, you want to take that and you want to take that energy and turn it into something else. But I just don't understand why we need to focus on having such a deep adherence to a system that has yet to be proven to work well for us. I definitely think we were a better team than we were last year, but I mean, we're not winning every single game. We actually have a slightly worse record than we did this time last year. So it's not like this system is tearing it up and it's clearly giving us great results. And yet we're burning bridges with players who are some of our biggest advocates last season just for adherence to the system. And I just, I, can't see the logic in that i can see building towards a system but you know using the players you have until you can swap them out reasonably and get to where you need to be with the right alignment to actually fully execute that style of play and the other thing that really bothers me is that it's just been proven time and time again that in the nwsl Fans are just much more deeply connected to players than specific teams. And why is that? It's because most fans don't have a local team to be attached to. And so fans are deeply tied to the players that they admire. And so I just hope the club realizes 
that they've had tons of turnover in the last year, you know, between the last year's roster and then most recently in June. And the losing very important players to racing like Ebony Salmon and CeCe Kaiser, even with reasonable explanations, can be damaging to how fans view the team. I'm sorry, but no one is that excited about Kim Bjorkegren and high pressing. That's not what racing fans are looking for. They're amped up to see their favorite players and to cheer them on and to be excited and to hear them talk and to watch them on the pitch. And so with this constant turnover of players, it's making it very, very hard for fans to stay invested and engaged and the optics are just plain bad. And that's not even me just saying that. Actual racing fans are saying it's hard for us to stay engaged with this club that we've been invested in when all our favorite players are leaving. And so even if there is a reasonable explanation, it just feels like, you know, sacrificing players for the good of the system is just doing more harm than good for fan engagement in my mind. In short, my biggest concern is just that we're deeply beholden to a style of play that I think it's starting to look like we're beholden to it to a detrimental degree. We're not getting a huge amount for it, but I can list a number of things that we've lost because of it. And we even talked last time, like, is Emily Fox being stifled because she's being, you know, stuck along the left side? There's just a numerous, a numerous things about player management and the system and the style of play that we have that I have yet to see that it has advanced and produced enough results to truly understand why we are putting absolutely every single egg we have in that basket. But the last thing that I want to say about this is that I want to talk about something that I'm not concerned about. And I'm not concerned about the locker room. I'm not concerned about there being an issue of toxicity or abuse. And, you know, maybe I could be wrong. Something could change. I don't know. But at this point, I see absolutely no sign to think that there's some big scandal like last year's NWSL scandals happening here. Because the bottom line is just no locker room is perfect. And when you have a coaching turnover, you're going to have a disagreement with former players because the coach is going to bring a different philosophy. And I think that a lot of NWSL fans want to buy into the idea of like the 23 best friends. Tom, I don't know if you heard that, but that was something the national team tried to promote during the last World Cup and it drove me insane. Oh, we're just not teammates. We're 23 best friends. And like, I'm sorry, that's just not how the world works. Are you best friends with all your coworkers? Probably not. Are you best friends with your bosses? Probably not. And it Becky, should... I'm not best friends with 23 members of my own family. Exactly. So. And that's just the way it works. And so it's okay for a certain degree of people to, you know, disagree with their coach to not get along. And that doesn't mean that it's a toxic environment. You know, racing is letting players who are unhappy leave and helping them move on to places where they're happy. And I think that that's good. That's better than keeping them there locked down and not allowed to move from the team. But I don't think it's a toxic environment. And I believe that because I've spoken to a number of players. I actually just spoke to Savannah DeMello from an equalizer profile that just came out. And I actually asked her directly about the locker room in light of multiple players departing. This was before we knew about Salmon, obviously. So this was with regards to Simon, Merrick, and Kaiser leaving. The quote actually got edited out of the profile because she was actually so positive about everything she said about the club that <laughs> Jeff Kasuf thought that it was redundant to include this quote. So I actually want to read it to people just so they can hear. I asked her directly 
what the locker room is like because fans are concerned with so many players leaving. And she said, I think the whole team actually has really good chemistry. I definitely think it's not perfect, and I don't think anyone is ever going to be perfect, but I do think everyone has the best intentions, and we are trying to make it the best season we can and make it an enjoyable one. And then I asked her, do you feel supported by the coaching staff, and do you feel supported by the team? And she said, yes, absolutely. I feel supported by all staff members, James and everyone. I feel like they've always had my back and the players back, and they want what's best for me and for the whole club. Emily Fox has said things similarly. Freya Olfson just resigned and said she believes in what the club is building. So I do believe that there is a core of players that really believes in this team and wants to build it into something great. And that's wonderful. I do believe that Ebony and Kim were just at loggerheads about what they saw as her role in the team and what was expected of her. Communication broke down. Neither of them would compromise. And that's ultimately what happened there. That's just an unfortunate situation. I don't think it's an abusive or a toxic situation. So I am concerned, but I'm not concerned about necessarily the health or the safety of the teams or players. And I think that's a very important distinction to make. Yeah, I can feel that I don't agree with how Kim is necessarily managing the team or how the club is managing the team. And that doesn't mean that it's toxic. That just means that I disagree what's happening and players are unhappy, but not necessarily it's a catastrophic thing. So those are those are my thoughts. Kind of rambly, kind of long, but I hope that covers the whole gamut of of everything that's really kind of happened today and in the last month. Becky, this has been fun. Let's do it again <laughs> next week. <laughs> I know, sorry. I just went no. on way too long. No, no. Everything you said, I think, honestly, though, I think that you, you know, gave a real opinion that all of us racing fans are feeling right now that, you know, there's a little bit of a divide, a little bit of an argument between your head versus your heart that you look and you say, you can look at the return that Ebony Salmon, that racing got for Ebony Salmon. And one thing you didn't mention, but I think is important is she only had what, six months left on her deal with us. Yeah. She wasn't looking to resign. So, uh, so Houston paid 150, 175 grand plus for a six-month rental of Ebony Salmon. And a I year, mean, they got another year for her, though. She signed for an additional year. Okay, her. okay, so for a year and a half. They I mean, took her option, yeah. So so they, it was it was a good piece of business for the club. So you can intellectually say like, all right, I'm, that makes sense. But then you go to your heart and you say, but man, she was so dynamic last year. She was so special on a team where we need special playmakers and she wasn't seeing the field. And I guess, you know, that from what you said, we can go one of two ways and, and I'm sure we'll talk about both. It's just a question of which we talk about first. Uh, although the, the first thing is that uh, Becky, I know that we do a lot of downloads for the uh, greater jewelry merchants in the state of Kentucky. So I think that your diamonds and emeralds <laughs> analogy, it's going to hit real well, but what was the cliche you know, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus. What's your paradigm from 10, 15 years ago? What was it? The emotional bank account that when you are in a relationship with somebody, the things they do, they either make a withdrawal, they take away from your emotional bank account with them, or it's a deposit that you feel better about them. With this club, there have been a lot more withdrawals than deposits shoot though over the last month over the last few months over the last season and as racing fans the club does not do a great job of explaining their 
moves. They are they try to keep everything in house, and there is a uh, there is a persistent opinion. Trust us, we know what's best. Now, if you are telling me that with you know the former coach, you want us to trust you and not let us know you know what the transgressions were. We fans were with you 100%. We don't need those details. But when you get into why aren't we signing another defender? Um, who's in the pipeline? If the, the club is asking for a big leap of faith with us fans that, okay, we're seeing Addie Merrick go. Uh, we're seeing CeCe Kaiser go. We're seeing Aaron Simon go. And now we're seeing Emily Salmon go. And who have we got coming in? We may have some folks that are that are that are on the cusp that maybe we're getting ready to sign, but it just doesn't feel real good right now because Ebony Salmon was somebody that this time last year or around this time last year, we were like, let's lock her up for five years and make her the face of the franchise. And now she's, and now she's on the outs. Okay. I, I get it. She doesn't fit the system, but also what are, I, there's just such a, a blank. There's no communication from the club from that moment to this moment. So as fans, as supporters, we're kind of left in the lurch. What are we thinking here? What's the club doing? What's the plan? And it's, you know, James O'Connor gave a great press conference today and answered a lot of questions. And I thought that um, he was very forthcoming. I thought that he didn't dance around. I thought that he was fair. He gave clear answers. He didn't, um, he didn't duck anything. Um, But also, when you are in a position where, you know, as a club, you are making more withdrawals than deposits, man, let me see, let bring him out a little bit more often. Let's see Kim more often. Let's see some players out more often, you know, let us know what's going on. Give us a little idea so that, you know, there was a process that got us to this point with Ebony and nobody knows what happened. And now we're sitting here where we are on the table. We're not getting wins. Um, we're not looking like uh, we're going to make a rush for the playoffs. What are we doing? I think that's a fair opinion. That's a fair emotion for us fans to have. No, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head with that last sentence. You know, there's just a sense of what what are we doing? We can't see the size of this. And I mean, James, I think, gave the most honest, clear answer in the press conference today when he just said, you know, we had a new coach come in. He needed some time to see what his players were like, and he needed some time for those players to see what he was like until we realized that some of this wasn't going to work. And now we're working to sort that out when the transfer window opened. And I really think that is the answer to all of this, but just because that's the answer and I can understand logically that that's the answer, like you said, between the head and the heart, like, yes, I get that with my head, but it's like, I've had to make so many of these concessions with my head, you know, I've had to just keep saying like, okay, we'll give it more time. Okay. We'll give it more Mm -hmm. time. Okay. More time still. And, you know, we've been told and told that the team will look different in July. That's a line that we've been given even on this podcast. The team's going to look different in July. Just wait. Well, it sure does look different, but I haven't seen much good. We've only lost players. And I know James is saying that, like, there's good things coming. There's signings coming. And there is nothing that I would love more than to say that my faith is restored. You know, I should have just given them a little more time and been a little more patient. But, like, there's just only so much of this that we can deal with without having concerns. 
if you are a member of Soccer Holdings and you're you're listening to this, um, first of all, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. <laughs> Second of all, though, you're you know in a situation like this where you've got a lot of players' losses, you are either combat the concerns with signings or wins, and I mean, if this is a team where we were getting the wins, we would say we would feel the same way. It would be still tough to lose Ebony, who wasn't seeing the field. But you would say, but, the, you know, she's not seeing the field on a team that, that's getting results. Now, but one thing, though, that I, that I do want to talk about, because I don't want to go in a big circle. Like, I feel as though we've, we've hit the big emotions that, that racing fans are feeling. And, um, you know, I talked earlier about my family. It's like Team Benson, um, we are super great experts at getting into a spiral of emotion where you feel bad. <laughs> and then I talk to you and you feel worse. And then you talk to me and I feel worse. And then at the end of the day, you're like, uh, you know, why do we ever move or do anything? But beyond that, I do want to talk to you about perceptions of this club because you know we there is a person and i want to separate out the two there is the perception of this club for racing fans and there is the perception of this club for everyone else and i think that you know right now racing fans you know we're feeling it with good reason, like we've talked about with the players we've lost with where we're at in the table. Yes, we're all there. We feel it from one standpoint. There is another standpoint that are NWSL fans that are looking at racing and saying, yep, I knew it. That organization is a cesspool and everything they look at, everything we do, they say glass half empty. Everything that happens that can be construed as negative, it's not just negative. Ebony leaving is not just that she and her coach didn't see eye to eye. And granted, I, 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 we'll talk more about this later, but this, a, a lot of her unhappiness is on Kim for sure. However, yeah. this is a situation where, you know, like we said, there's no evidence of any of the horrible things that have happened previously in the NWSL with coaching relationships. This was a, a professional athlete and her coach not getting along. All of that being said, they are looking at that and saying like, if you see Ebony Salmon could not wait to get out of racing. And I guess you are a lot, I mean, you are a, uh, if I may say so, uh, Rebecca Morgan, you know, <laughs> you are a prominent member of the Woso, the women's soccer uh, community. Um, your voice carries a lot of weight. Also, yeah, that means that, that you have to follow and listen to a lot of people on Twitter that I have already blocked, uh, which means that I don't have a lot of the, the stress or my timeline looks a lot better than you. And I guess I want to get your opinion on, um, you know, the NWSL culture, the fan culture of the NWSL. And, you know, as maybe not directly related to racing, but I think it plays a part in how racing is perceived now. So that's a, that's a big task, <laughs> big, the big ask. <laughs> the, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated and it's many layered. Ultimately, 
I think what both sides in many cases, both our own racing fans and the anti-racing fans, let's just call them that for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. are not, both not seeing nuance in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And I think that everything always needs to be seen with nuance. And as annoyed as I am, and despite all my concerns, I'm really trying to weigh them with understanding the nuance of the situation. So I think ultimately some of the context racing fans who were not previously women's soccer NWSL fans might be missing. And I hope that I don't summarize this too tritely or too simply, but basically that women's soccer has been a struggling sport for a very, very long time with very dedicated fans. We've had multiple leagues collapse before this. We've had players even at the national level, you know, having to play in cast off men's jerseys that didn't fit them because no one Ooh. would give them jerseys, despite the fact they were gold medalists. You know, we, we, they would get paid, you know, $10 a day to show up for their camps, you know, not that long ago when like Mia Ham and Julie Foudy were playing. So, so many people have supported this sport through just iteration and iteration of just horrible mistreatment of players. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just like talking about the financial and, you know, like supportive aspects even back to the previous league, you know, the league that existed before the NWSL collapsed in part because the Magic Jack owner from a team in Florida was so abusive and horrible that he basically pulled all his financing when they were going to kick him out. And then that collapsed the league. And then everybody found out via an email like a week later that suddenly they had no jobs and they had to try and find, you know, international teams to play for because the league just completely disappeared. And that's less than 10 years ago, right? That is just about 10 years ago. Okay, because yeah. they're a little over 10 years ago because there was like a year in between that league and the start of the NWSL. Oh, okay. And then the NWSL starts and they're playing on high school football fields. Their main sponsor, or their only sponsor is the National Mango Board. And when they finally get on television, it's like on Lifetime Television for Women, which is just so condescending to me. It makes me angry. Or it's on like almost impossible to find streaming sites. And so fans have followed this sport through collapsing teams. So the only consistent through line for them is these players that they love. Mm -hmm. And so they don't yeah. have as much of an allegiance to teams. And also through just like these, just layer after layer after layer of mistreatment. And then last season, it just absolutely exploded. And we found out that you know, our worst fears were not even as bad as it could be with how, you know, Paul Riley, oh, you know, wow. abused players in Portland and then was just allowed to go off to Western New York and then North Carolina and go on his merry way despite these concerns. We found that, you know, Kristen Press raised huge concerns about Rory in Chicago to the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, and they completely ignored it. And there is some evidence that she has been treated in a retaliatory manner as a result of it. And so fans just automatically assume the worst in many cases, because so often it's worse than we even assumed the worst would be. And so I just hope that racing fans realize that this is a, a reflexive response in a lot of ways. And frankly, you know, hiring Holly and everything that happened yeah. last season, I'm not even going to go into how that happened or why, but like, 
I think the club even needs to realize more that, you know, they need to do more to get people to trust them. I know a lot of people in the club and I think they're good people and I think they're well-meaning and I do truly think that they want the best for the players, but they have to understand the reasons that people won't look at them that way, that they have to earn that respect. And I don't know if our, our club and a lot of our fans truly understand that interplay that exists. No, I think that this is why it's, you know, racing fans are lucky to have you on a, a podcast, Becky. And I'm kind of on two sides of the fence on this, because on the one hand, I think that racing, we got a really raw deal from the Woso culture, from the Woso community last year. My super biased opinion is that when we hired Holly, who was a trash human being, people looked at us and they said, you know what, that team that's in Kentucky, how is Kentucky getting a team? Oh, and look, why are they doing that? And look, and look, yeah, exactly. Just like I thought they hired this guy who has a horrible reputation and look what happened. We knew it would happen. And all of the anger that we, that, that longtime Woso NWSL fans had, we were a convenient dog to kick that, you know, did North Carolina fans have a crisis of conscience? Absolutely. Same with Red Star fans. But I also think that if some of those fans had 10 minutes out of the day to complain about the NWSL, they spent five on their club and five on racing. I think that you, we got a, a, a raw deal from a lot of it. But the flips, yeah, go ahead. Can I say one thing to that really quickly just before yeah. we move past it, though? Racing fans, though, and sorry, guys, I'm going to criticize you now. You search for racing and you only see the criticism of racing because you're looking at stuff that has racing attached to it. So I'm sorry, you're not seeing the thousands of messages where people are being like the Thorns are a trash team. Yeah, or that's Angel fair. City, that's 100% fair. Or that Angel City is NFTFC. Or that they're you know, no. or that they're DoorDash FC. No, the other teams get a lot of crap. Yeah. Racing fans are just so obsessed with it being all about us. One, because I mean we did get a lot of it, and I definitely think that there was a lot of bias, like, ooh, Kentucky, yeah. white trash, hillbillies, whatever. Yes, no, that's bullshit, and there was a lot of that. But when you search for racing and you only see bullshit, you're not seeing all the bullshit the other teams are getting. So I do think that we are a little too obsessed about the only, the bad rap that we get because we're only looking at ourselves. I, I just, I have to say that. No, that's a, no, that's absolutely fair. And I look at it and just speaking for me personally, it's like one of the things that I was so excited about with getting this team is that like you're Louisville, Kentucky and we're big league, baby. Like we got an NWSL team. We are competing with LA. We're competing with Chicago. And then to in you know, my perception, not get treated like we are a big league city, that hurt. But also, I think, and this is another thing that that I think is, is worth noting, that I think that racing fans did not respect, and I'm not going to say the baggage, because I don't mean it to be a negative thing, but from everything that you said, if you are a Woso fan from 2012, from 2013, 2015 on, man, you've been through hell. Like you've loved and supported the team 
a three, you have loved and supported your players the same way that we are loving and supporting our players. And like you said, Becky, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And when, and when you have that kind of experience, it is easy to assume the worst. And I'm, I'll say this, and I'm going to absolutely, you know, I know that uh, Stan can be a negative, you know, a pejorative in fandom, but I'll say this, like, if not for the stands, you know, the abuse in the league is still going on. I mean, it was the stands that have been buying tickets that have been the heart and soul of this, you know, of the fan base of this league for the last decade that were the ones that said, no, this is not acceptable. We're not going to support these teams that are, are, you know, have coaches that don't treat our players right. And because of that, a lot of these coaches will shoot after last season, just about all of them are gone. So I think though, that, that we as racing fans did not realize that, that there was a lot more behind, you know, a lot of the criticism that came our way. And I think we took it too personally in a lot of ways. And I also think I agree with that entirely. And I also think, and I'm not saying that we should just like roll over and accept that people are critical of us because obviously, I mean, anybody who's acting clearly in, in bad will with nothing constructive to say, well, then why would you listen to them anyway? I mean, that that's yeah. going to happen everywhere, but not everybody who has criticisms about racing or even if disagrees with stuff, even if you have a different opinion is not necessarily attacking us. So that's NWSL culture. And this is something where, you know, I want to lighten, I want to lighten the topic a little bit because on the one hand, everything that you said is true as far as the history of the NWSL um, and all of that. But I would also say to those members of the NWSL culture that have been fighting the fight, like, and I, I love all of you, like this is an awesome league and you can take pride in it. But I will also say this, if this league is going to grow and it is going to get to where we all want it to get, which is on par with the Premier League, on par with the NFL, to be a multi-billion dollar league. And I think, you know, that's something that is, you know, decades away, but Rome wasn't built in the day. The fact is, is that that culture needs to accept that, you know what, some folks want to talk trash. And that is an evolution that, I think it's going to be difficult for the league for a lot of, I don't want to say SGs necessarily, because I know a supporters group is a different, a different uh, route, but you know what? They're people fan in different ways. And if you, and the league today is not, it's, I mean, we are not, it's not 2014 and we still need to be vigilant against those issues that, that were horrible, but also if things are getting better, we need to be able to grow the fan base. And some folks want to talk trash. I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm just talking about having rivalries. Now, I mean, I agree, Tom, that there need to be more rivalries in the NWSL and it does need to evolve that way. But I just hope that people are aware that there is a, a tenuous growing culture in this league still and that there it comes from a lot of painful memories and backgrounds and that, 
you know, we are going to need to move past that. And we are going to need to grow past that. But a lot of it is in our very recent history. Mm-hmm. And I just think that as a whole, you know, we're in a moment of flux and fandom and it makes people's tensions run very high and assume the worst on both ends. But I don't want to belabor this point. I would like to move on. And you said something that I want to get back to about how everything that happened with Ebony is Kim's fault. And so if you could, <laughs> yes, I mean, I don't know up. if that's exactly what you said. I hope I didn't make it too harsh, but I would really like you to expand on that, please. Well, um, yesterday I spent the day with a bunch of uh, friends and um, all of our kids at a cookout, and there was a real consensus that uh, everything that happened wrong in those kids' lives were the faults of the parents. So maybe that's just on the brain. But I want to say that when there is a new coach that comes in that, you know, intellectually heart versus head we all know that some players are going to see opportunities some are going to see their opportunities decrease and it seemed pretty obvious early on that that ebony's like you had said she and kim were at loggerheads um and that happens what worries me is that ebony is has steadfastly said that she did not feel as though her opinions were heard from Kim. And, you know, today, JOC uh, or James O'Connor was asked like, hey, Emily said this. And he said, well, I was in a meeting and I thought that everything was very clear. But the fact is, is that it is on the team to communicate to the player. And that if Emily felt, you know, Ebony's reality is the reality. And if that is the way she felt it was a a failure for coach kim that that is the way she felt and if you are of the opinion that says you know what my way or the highway she wasn't fit in the system regardless of her immense talents it's you know it's time to part ways if you are racing louisville and by the way if you are kim bjorkengren who is going to keep this job or lose this job based on how many good players he has playing well for him. It does not behoove you to burn a bridge. Ebony Salmon is incredibly talented, incredibly well-respected. And even if you do not feel that she is going to get minutes on the field, you need to keep her bought in. And even if she's not totally bought in, she parted ways. It is on you to make sure that she leaves with a smile on her face as much as possible because people talk. She has connections in England and it is bad for the club if she leaves and then, you know, a few months ago, she thought Louisville was a swell place. Today, she doesn't. And that is a failure for the coaching staff. I mean, I agree. On the one hand, you know, when I spoke to DeMello, I don't want to keep going back to this like, oh, well, DeMello is a count- a perfect counterpart. It's just that I did just speak to her and some of these topics did come up just by chance. And she said that she actually thought that Kim and the team were very communicative and that they said exactly what needed to be done and that it was on her to adapt her style to do what the club wanted. And so what I think the nuance of the situation is, is that Kim is very rigid in what he wants players Mm -hmm. to do. You will do exactly this. And players will either be like, oh, yeah, you know, I I can do that. That makes sense. That fits in my wheelhouse. That's something that I think would be 
good for me for player development or they will be like that's not what i do that's not me that's not my strength and you know they have every right to say that you know like this is how i play soccer this is my style and so i want to push back and say i have been successful doing this and therefore i'm counter arguing about what we should do and when i'm assuming the response is no this is exactly what you need to do you need to do xyz well i think i should maybe be trying b and c no you should be doing xyz and sometimes there is just going to be that disagreement but i just feel like there could be a, have been a little more of a, a shake hands and agree to disagree and yeah. not have like a complete breakdown in communication where ebony said that she barely spoke to him in the last few weeks i mean that's clearly not the best management no. of the situation that could have been handled about like i mean that's saying it about as nicely as i can possibly say it no it's and, and no, so I... like some teams will work in this or some players will work in this very rigid system but you can't burn bridges with all the players that don't that's just bad practice and also like i just don't see how they don't recognize that it's an issue like i said before that you know we clearly need defenders we only have three for the month of july with fox murray and um holloway gone and then we got rid of two defenders with no real comment about you know how we were going to fill those holes and then we also as we talked about in the last episode have been really struggling to score in the run of play and then we got rid of our most successful striker from last year who scored the most in the run of play. So, I mean, there has to be some explanation for these beyond we're just following the system and, you know, this is just what we're going to do. Because as I said, there's just been no evidence so far that the system is working well enough to call for this strict adherence. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that this rigidity and style and communication yeah, might be working for some people. It probably is. It seems like it is for a number of players. But if it broke down that badly for a player like Ebony Salmon, who, you know, previously had been very happy here, that's that's a big problem. That's a very big problem. And that is actually where we're going to stop it today, folks. This episode ended up going so long that tomorrow we will release another episode where we go over all our listener questions. So keep your eyes open for that. And we will see you next time on Butchertown Rundown.